seats. Bless you, bless you. Come on in, find a seat, any seat. Thank you, Lord. Welcome to the house of God. Hope your travels were safe. Great to see you this morning. Any seat? There's no preferred seating. Find a seat. Beautiful day. Beautiful day, Lord. Yeah. It's a beautiful day. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Awesome, guys. Great to see you. Where's my wife? Smiley faces. Yes. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Love it, love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. All right. Comfort. Isaiah says, if you are a voice, comfort tenderly the people because they're going to come under a lot of pressure. As you know, the Babylonians were going to take them into captivity. And so I studied that and I actually preached on it Sunday. And there's a lot of good stuff in that to understand where our people are at, but where we are at. And it actually says, as you look through that uh, chapter 40 towards uh, verse 30 thereabouts, And it says, even young men grow weary. Now, young men, I believe now, I didn't know this, but they are select men. They're trained, they're athletes. They're like your top athletic for the Olympians. Even the best ministers, that's what I'm thinking. Even the best of you, how good you are, you're going to get weary and tired by collective weariness. And they say, we're in a pressure cooker. And can I just say, supernaturally, I had a period of decompression on the beach, on a mid-north coast beach, secret location, I won't mention it, but I walked up 4Ks up that beach in the evening with the sun beating down and the wind howling, and I laid down and literally entered into this time, I realize now, of decompression, because even young men, even the best of us, who think we're doing so well, but we've all been through three years of, of, uh, of, of trauma, debate, basically. And so I laid there, and I realized the presence was there, but then I realized there was something way more than that. It was the glory. And for half an hour, I went through a decompression of responsibilities, of things I've been carrying, drama, drama, you know the story, we're all under lots of different uh, realms of drama, and I literally realized the Lord, that that scripture, actually it says, wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, and so that's what I'm praying for you. Now, We'd love to, um, and, and again, I found another scripture that will allude to the fact of what this story of this church is about. We've always strived, Julie and I, to believe for unity 
in our, in our region, and we've got a great story there. In our family, got a great story there. Um, but this scripture is to you and your family and your children, and because I believe that this is more than just a, a corporate pep talk. This is us getting to know each other, to understand each other's world in the family dimension. We honestly need to care for each other. And I have this saying, be mindful of each other. We want to be mindful of you and your family and your children, not just your, your spiritual children. So the scripture says in Isaiah 44, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. And another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. And on that note, we would love to introduce our family, some of our family, because to our family, exactly. So can we invite um, a couple of our family members and just to give an idea of that we are a real family with real people and uh, our number one son-in-law, Andrew Flaxman, is in the house, married to Jilly, our number one daughter, uh, uh, born in 86, I believe, and 87, Jessica, my number two uh, daughter, number two, is it true, 1987, am I getting these dates right? This is amazing. I'm the best dad, grand, granddad ever. Uh, uh, and, um, and my number, number one, that's right. <laughs> All right, we won't mention any more numbers, uh, but Evan is married to Jessica, our number two daughter. And of course, Garth, Pastor Garth, is married to Jamie, is in the house with her second baby, baby, second uh, baby girl, and uh, and three children, and little, little Leon. (laughs) Sometimes the names skip the memory. (laughs) And we've got uh, one daughter who's at work. At work, childcare, runs a whole childcare center. And we've got a whole bunch of grandkids missing, so we've got nine all up. Nine. we just want to declare to you that this is our family and we want to thank, yeah, we want to thank you because you've all had a part to play in their lives as Absolutely. well. I mean, I look across this room and it brings me to tears and Keith has spoken into their world and Ellie and Marty has spoken their world and, and um, who else is there? Who else has spoken into your world? Ruth and Chris. Tim Lyle. I heard this week Chris has been praying for the Phil kids Pringle. as they launch Christian Surfers. And you've been praying for my kids. I heard that this week. Thank you. Put it in his Put diary, in his diary, in his diary to, to pray. pray for my kids. You know, this is what it's all about, guys. Yeah, exactly. Andrew, there's been times where you've sown into my kids. I mean, so many of you, so many of you have sown into our family And we want to say thank you. We just want to say thank you that we're not here today because we're great parents. We're here today because we've got a big family around our family. Amen. And this is what we need to do for each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All good. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. 
I'm just about to introduce our Absolutely. First you do that, my love. Absolutely. Speaker. Move over, Rover, and you let Jesus take over. You can take your seats if over. you like, but um, I did want to share something with you just before I get our first guest speaker up who, to me, I call, I call him um, actually like a father in the faith to me. Like, when you're a prophetic person, you need a prophet in your life. You know, you need someone to speak into your world. And Martin has done that for me and many others in this room. I know Garthy's had spoken into your life and Jamie's life and many of us in this room. But just before you get up, Martin, it was like I got a prophetic image recently. And the Lord said he wanted me to look at the Tower of Babel. And how they had built in Genesis chapter 11, we're talking about the Tower of Babel, how they had built the Tower of Babel because they decided they could do it without God. And so they built this tower saying, we can do this in our own strength. We can build something without God. And Babel actually means confusion. And so God confused their tongues their languages, because he made this incredible statement that if they all speak the same language, there is nothing that will be impossible for them. They can do anything. Now, I believe as we listen to the prophets and the pioneers and the elders right now in this time, we'll hear a sound coming through, which is a language that will unite us. It'll be the sound not of church or church culture, but it'll be the sound of a kingdom. And there are, within our region, we are so blessed that we have kingdom language. This morning, we had worship from three Davidic, Davidic ministers. They're Davidic. And yet they sit in our conferences and watch other people lead worship. Something shifting where God is really releasing the true anointed ones, the ones that have sat in the background, the ones that have waited on God. And I know our next speaker, Martin Webb, now has been in ministry, how many years, Martin? 40? Is it 40 yet? Getting close, 38. Well, let's be exact about that. As long as we've been married, you've been in ministry. And for a lot of that time, he's been a local pastor with a prophet's anointing. And I'm just so thrilled that we've actually got this man in our region who will speak to us God's truth. And I don't know if you have purchased this book. I know he's rewriting it and redoing it. But I'm t- I read this on holidays again, Martin, and I got smashed by God. Like I was crying. I was highlighting parts and sending them to Jilly, saying, Jilly, you've got to read that part again. You've got to read that part again. This is a textbook for the day that we live in. If you want to know what the new looks like, this is it. And we've got a few copies at the back if you want to purchase that today. But let's stand to our feet one more time and just really honour the prophet of our region, <laughs> Pastor Marty. I'm going to give you our brand new mic because you need a brand new mic. 
love you, Martin. Cheers, bud. Have we got a, uh, I've only got 15. Have we got a timer? Oh. I am a lead pastor, so you need more than 15 minutes usually. So. I know. I know. Thanks, Jules. I love you. Thanks. Shout out for the, the old fields. Tell you what, if, if ever there was a, um, an example of generational blessing, it's the Oldfield family. Crazy witness. Um, thanks, Keith. Bless you, Keith, and your leadership in the region. Uh, it's great to see the second wind come again and to see you and Janet lead our region and just, you know, the atmosphere and the frequency amongst us. You know, whether we lead pastors or, you know, support pastors or, or you know, department leaders or whatever, there's a whole new frequency and, and, and energy, I believe, of the Holy Spirit since um, you and Janet have led the charge here. And so why don't we just give him and uh, Janet a cheer. She's working today. Bless you, mate. Okay, so I've got 15 minutes to talk about navigating the new and then Garth's going to come up. Thinking man's pastor, Garth Ball there, is going to come up and, and go deep. When I was thinking about this, it's a big conversation, a really big conversation to talk about navigating the new. To try and cover it in 15 minutes, I want to, I want to drop some things, drop some bombs on you that you can go away and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit about and put context to it whether you're a lead pastor or whether you're leading a department and in your own personal life. Right now, I think that all of us are aware of or awakened that we are living in unique times and you don't have to look too far to hear the resonance, the language, the sound of the fact that heaven's telling us that we're living in a generation right now like no other. So whether or not you're called to lead a church lead a department or lead yourself, we need revelation and wisdom right now to navigate and to take us into what's new. God loves new things, I believe. He loves us navigating into the new horizon. I think that's all part of personal growth. I want to use a couple of scriptures for context. Um, and they're from exilic, what I call exilic prophets because I believe right now we're moving into exilic times and we need theology for winter. And I wonder as Pentecostals whether or not we really acknowledge or understand what it means to actually have an understanding of God and his presence in winter. That making sense of that, when we talk about winter, we're talking about being clothed appropriately because, you know, as the Danes say, there's no wrong weather, just wrong clothing. So we need to clothe ourselves appropriately for winter, talking in a metaphor because we need to clothe ourselves spiritually for that. So there's three things I want to talk about just for this 15 minutes on land. One is the key indicators or signs, because when God speaks, we know that he speaks within and without, that he'll speak to our spirit through the Holy Spirit, but he'll speak without through empire leaders, church leaders, um, the weather climate. We don't have to look too far into scripture to see that it talks about the fact that the voice of God speaks through the weather. Uh, we've just had two earthquakes in our region um, and a lot of that can be a response to the divine sovereign plan. So in, in many ways we're going to zoom out and, and talk about 
the whole concept, to the, again, when we're talking about our theology for winter, we need to understand some of the elements of, of understanding God as sovereign. Because as, as, as um, Pentecostals often, Armenian believers, we, we want to get active and involved in God's work. And we don't fully comprehend the sovereign elements of God for, for Him making decisions on our behalf. We want to make decisions. We want to make choices. We want to be front-footed. So what's next? Let's just get on to it. But what about if God's making choices for us and we have to respond to them, sit under them, yield to them, submit to them? And as leaders, often we want to make the decisions and that's where human effort comes in and we live with the circumstances. Who's ever done that? Made a decision thought, no, that wasn't God. Uh, so we need the theology. The second thing is to put context to it, both our personal life, because as leaders we need to steward our own life first, and also to realise that we're connected to a global context, personal context, global context. It's crucial to understand the global context because we're part of a body. You know, the body of Christ is, is one of the primary revelations of, of Christ being the head and the body, the church. And I'm hopefully, Garth will explore that a little bit more when he talks about ecumenical things and connecting to the greater picture and, and unification, collaboration with, with bigger picture culture of the church. The third thing I want to look at is strategic planning. You know, um, Proverbs 6, 6, talking about the ant, it says, the ant has no leader, but he prepares himself for winter. And so when we're talking about a theology for winter, we need to understand that this instinctively built inside of an ant, a small creature that has no leader, there's, a, there's, there's acumen and, and intentionality inside of that ant to be able to understand you need to store up things if winter's coming. Right now, I think prophetically, we're in first frost. Anyone who understands that when you're talking about the, the, the shift of... I think that in many ways, we're still doing the things that we did. And we know that winter's coming, but we're still practicing summer language, summer practices, summer models. And we're sort of in the in-between in time, the twilight zone between the crossing over moments where, you know, uh, seasonally, we realise the seasons are changing. So let's, let's look at these things, and, and a few of them I've written in the book, and the book is, for those that read it, it wasn't formatted well, it was built through COVID, I've landed it quickly, and my daughter's reformatting it for me to make it more, easy, more easily read, and so I'm hoping to translate, Father, translate it today in a way that we can understand some of the things that are crucial for us right now. So to be prepared and clothed appropriately to understand sovereign decision in John 16, when Jesus explained the Holy Spirit, he said the Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but he'll show you things to come. So all of us, we don't need to be prophetic. We just need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit to understand what's next, to navigate what's next. So we're asking for wisdom today. Two, two scriptures from exilic prophets. The first one's from Daniel, an exilic prophet, a winter prophet. Daniel 2.21, it says he changes times. He, God, changes times and seasons, deposes kings and raises up others. First thing, God's in right now inside of the empires of this world, taking power away from some and raising up others, both within and without the kingdom as we know it. The second thing is he gives wisdom to the wise and revelation to the discerning. 
So two things, when God's operating sovereignly, there's new grace for when he's operating, right? There's revelatory grace. So we have wisdom, we've just got to tap into it because he gives it to us. The Holy Spirit's been given to us to not leave us alone. So the hope of this winter season will be that he's not left us alone. See, see, see we need to understand prophetically that if God is going to lead us into winter season, he's, he's speaking to us now about how to prepare in first frost. All right? So the second scripture is taken out of Genesis chapter 50, and it's Joseph's classic story of the fact that, um, you know, we know the story of Joseph. We don't need to go into the detail of that, but, you know, his reflection after his journey of being deposed and then repositioned is that he says, he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God meant for good. For, for what? The saving of many souls. So there's a harvest prepared for winter. And that's the hope. There's a winter harvest. Hallelujah. So I want to use those as a foundation to talk about a couple of things about what God's up to. Um, oh, yeah, in the third scripture, sorry, in John chapter 1. Out of his fullness we have received and grace in place of grace already given. This is the beholding of Jesus. This is John's revelation of the beholding of Jesus. And he, he declares something about Jesus and the unveiling of Jesus he says it's, it's both present and progressive. Grace upon grace already given, right? And so I'm, I'm an old salt now and I've, I know a lot of things, but I know it, I've realised I don't know enough. There's new grace for new revelation, new knowledge. I need to be open-hearted for what, what gr new grace looks like, new life looks like, for, for the already given grace that I've been given. And so part of this fullness thing is a maturation. So when God's moving sovereignly, he by permission calls us to grow up, to fill our boots, to fill out. You know when someone grows up and they fill out? The church is being brought into a place where we're going to fill out. And so I want to look at a couple of things and these are the, these are, I'm going to drop these on you now. All right, so new grace and new anointing. There's some instinctive things that I believe the Holy Spirit's asking us some questions. That's one thing I've noticed about my own life is that the Holy Spirit's now asking me a lot of questions about my personal things, my, my things in communion with him. The first one is about a question about how compassionate am I, new behaviour. I'm going to talk a little bit about sacrifice. I know many of us have had a long journey. We think, don't keep talking about sacrifice. I've sacrificed enough. But I believe that we're to being taken into winter to, to, to a sacrificial altar that looks new. I want to leave that with you just for a moment. There's a sacrificial altar that's going to look new to us. So the first question is about new behaviour. It's about, am I compassionate enough for the abandoned? Because I believe right now that sovereignly there's going to be war, both naturally and in the spirit realm. There's, there's war in the heavenlies, that's certain. There's territories and strongholds that are being contended for. But do I carry sufficient compassion for the abandoned so the, the new grace part of the new grace is context the holy spirit saying to me martin are you compassionate and merciful enough for what might be ahead can you carry the grace that i need you to carry to love the victims of war and weather for winter 
The second thing is about conscience. Questioning my core values. I believe that holiness is a, is a move of God that's coming because God is questioning the core values of believers so that we can come out of the footholds we've allowed the devil to pr- pr- present in our life. We've not got the victories we thought we could get because we've given the devil a foothold. The footholds of the devil of, of, uh, are opportunities that he's, he's, he's had in our life because we've not been set apart as we should have been. And so the question about holiness is another one, about conscience, a new conscience in the church. The Holy Spirit is no longer tolerating some things that he tolerated before because he's called us to grow up. All right, And so he's saying, well, you can't do that anymore in this level I'm calling you into. I'm calling you into a place now where the tolerance levels are different because now I'm bringing you into new places of fullness and maturity. The third thing is about a new world order, the question of a new world order. So the question is about our courage and our convictions to stand against new empires. If God is changing the order of leadership both in the world and in the church, do we have the courage in our convictions to stand? To stand against empire leaders. Daniel and Joseph had the acumen and the wisdom. Remember, we talked about the fact that, that uh, you know, we needed wisdom and revelation. So it's how to operate intentionally, instinctively, and to stand. The fourth one is about a new map. You know, the Lord showed me that we're gonna, that he's recreating the map. He's shifting the map. It's interesting that Sean Boltz, another prophet in America, talked about this recently, about he thinks that God's in the middle of a chess game. That he's shifting things around. And, and right now, I think that sovereignly, sacrificially, this altar's being built where God is changing and, and the Holy Spirit's asking us about our capacity to venture into new horizons. If, the, if a mission field or, or the map looks different in our own world, whether it's locally, regionally, or globally, if we're called to reach into other mission fields that aren't familiar to us in the new horizon, do we have the courage, or sorry, the capacity to venture into those? Do we have the strength, the capacity, the energy to stretch? Do we, can we facilitate it? And the last one is about new power, a question on our captaincy. You know, many of us have had long journeys historically of leadership. We've, got, we've had a certain captaincy. But right now I believe, and, and this is the... Uh, the other part of, of what I'm sort of dialoguing with God about at the moment is about the towel. It's about do we have the capacity to adopt people, own them and lead them. When Jesus lifted up his towel and washed the disciples' feet, Peter responds to him and says, don't wash my feet. And he says, well, unless I wash them, I won't own you. You don't belong to me. So part of leadership is to serve the people and bring them into a place of communion and they can only realise that, that we, 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 we belong to them and they belong to us when they realise that servant... We will actually servant leaders. There's a new dialogue on, on captaincy for us. So they're, 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 the, they're the questions of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to talk a little bit about the triggers and the activators and the signs, the catalytic events that are happening right now. Um, one of them is migrations. Some of us are moving and we don't realise why. It's a bit like an animal that has an instinct within them and thinks, for the purpose of survival, I need to travel from here to there to get food. And so there's an instinctive migratory process in all of life. Joseph moves, he goes on a migration away from his familiar family into Egypt and that migration looked quite crazy. 
what was God up to? But later he realised that migration had purpose in it. And I don't know about you, but I've spoken to a lot of leaders, lead pastors and senior leaders that have actually been sold out like Joseph out of their position that they've been in. They've ended up in some crazy destination, somewhere where they thought, how did I ever end up here? And a migration's taken place and they've shifted because their, their captaincy would find a different context, both intentionally or by force. They were shifted out. See, migration can be either way. It can be either by a decision we make or a decision that's made for us. When a decision's made for us, we don't always think it's God. We think, God, what are you doing? I didn't make that decision. And he says, yeah, I did. (laughs) That's what Joseph was probably asking. God, what are you up to? And he said, well, I'm taking you to Egypt in an Ishmaelite caravan. Now, that's crazy. You're going to use the Ishmaelites, God? He says, yeah, I'm going to use them. Yeah, that's right. So the other one is disruptions. In this whole idea of a new order right now, there's, there's a whole lot of disruptions taking place with new people, new processes that are disrupting the status quo. And, and, and the trauma and the frequency and the atmosphere and the energy and the language of society right now is that we could easily react to it. But as Holy Spirit people, we need to ponder for a moment and think, God, what are you up to? How can I strategically prepare myself for operation. This is what Daniel and Joseph did. They realized that there were the world around them was changing rapidly, but in the genius of the Holy Spirit, they were able to position themselves and mediate and advocate for a kingdom come in a hostile, exilic environment. So you see, having a theology for winter means that you need to understand how to be positioned strategically and speak on the behalf of God in a different way than you did in summer. So the disruptions that are happening around us in empire leaders and all that kind of thing means then we know how to stand. You stand then right, in, a, in the right position as a mediator. Again, a long conversation, but I'm nearly finished because I'm sure my 15 minutes is up. Exposure. A lot of the, the light that's shining from heaven now manifests itself both within the church especially, where we can't make sense of it and think, God, what are you doing here? Our church is being exposed. But the light of God is actually bringing about this new conscience and and a holiness revival and demonic strongholds are being broken by the fact that God's shining a light on something where we've allowed power to come from a wrong context, a demonic context. See, see if, if we think we can operate in Jesus' name and allow the devil into bed with us, it ain't going to work. We've got to get out of bed with the devil and then stand strong. So holiness has got a context for, for it, and so exposure is needed. So part of the whole new conscience that God's putting in the church is he's exposing things and saying, I need to shine a light on that because that thing's been in there for too long. Both personally, remember this is a personal context and a global context. And then the last one is shakings. Well, we've seen locally the earthquakes and these are manifestations, reactions, weather and war, I think are manifestations in the natural of territorial spirits contending. Right now we have 
principalities and powers, I believe, that have been activated to contend for a seasonal winter right now that as spiritual people and leaders especially, we should be awakened and aware of what's going on. That angels now are being activated for a purpose and an intentionality of sovereign decision. And what happens then is, is when the eternal shakes the natural, the response of us as the church is to say, well, what do you want us to do, Lord? And this is where, I guess, when things start to shake, God calls the church to be activated into mostly merciful kindness to come into places where victims people that are abandoned people that are hurting and wounded see most of Jesus ministry I believe was to set people free that were lost lonely broken and so the new horizon of the church I believe will be be empowered with new grace to navigate the next so what I'm asking for me and our church is Lord show us what it means to facilitate and strategically plan for what lies ahead because it's only new frost. But what does lie ahead? And have we got the capacity to respond, be first responders? I think Phil talked about it with Jeremiah Johnson where he talked about forerunners. See, if this is going to happen, I want to be on, I want to be first in the pool. I don't want to be last. I want to be right there. So I'm asking God for that. So let's pray. Father, we pray today. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We thank you for strategic insight. We thank you, Lord, you're always faithful. You're ever present. Strengthen us today. Protect us. Provide for us. Guide us. Guide us, Lord. Lead us. That we can be the church you've called us to be as winter arrives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, that's me. Thank you. Yeah, so when we talked with Keith about how we should do this day, we, you know, Keith said, look, we've got so much in our region. Why don't we just use what's in our region? And it's so true. That was so powerful. I mean, really, that... That speaks to where we each, doesn't it? Like it's, we need to hear, you know, real stuff about how to live in the day we live in. Uh, and another man that's going to do that wonderfully for us, you know, my son-in-law, but also I truly respect him as an up-and-coming apostolic leader, now about to plant his third church, or plant his second church, have his third church with my daughter Jamie. But Garth was um, 16 when he was saved in our church and I have seen him all these years run hard for God. The wisdom and the understanding that he has for a young man blows our minds and I think we can really learn from the strategies of an apostolic thinker in Pastor Garth Ball. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Marty. That was just uh, outstanding. I think um, I'd for you to take these 15 minutes if you would like to jump back up and keep going. A lot to think about. But um, thank you, Keith, as well, wherever you are, for entrusting uh, me in this space. And thank you, Phil and Julie, for always uh, championing Jamie and I and believing in us. But uh, I think it's so exciting that we are 
as a region having these conversations. What a joy it is to actually be talking about the things that are dear to God's heart for the times in which we're living in. Uh, And so I think that is both exciting and it's also very humbling to be here sharing a few little thoughts with you this morning because I acknowledge that so many of you could come up and uh, we look forward to hearing more and more in an ongoing conversation from the wide range of voices uh, that are here in this room. And I think it's going to be a really exciting journey ahead. But uh, as Marty said, 15 minutes uh, and it's it's a stretch, but we can make it work. Uh, and please relieve me from mentioning uh, the time thing again, because it's very tempting when you feel like there's a lot to say in 15 minutes. But uh, like Marty, a lot of things that we're going to drop in uh, has a whole lot of thought around it and a whole lot of uh, contemplation around it. Um, but this is just to get the conversation, you know, continuing and talking about some things that we think God's doing. So I basically just want to share a really brief framework that I think we can Uh, look at and utilize for trying to navigate the new. And so I'm going to share some thoughts around uh, some of the conclusions that we're coming to as a church at Rhythm City Church, uh, some of the thoughts that are in my mind. And I think uh, the key thing is, like Marty's mentioned, that questions are being asked. And you may not agree with the conclusions that we've come to, for instance, but I think the important thing is that questions are being asked and we need to start formulating answers to them. And so I want to talk about three things here this morning. I want to talk about uh, this, that we need conviction that we are in a new era. We need clarity around what God is breathing on and we need commitment to build long-term. These are sort of three basic needs that we have if we are going to try and discern and walk into what God is doing. And so the first one, conviction that we are in a new era. I know that might sound very obvious, but it's not necessarily. Um, and we talk about this post-COVID season, but really my conviction is that, this, that God has used COVID to usher in a brand new era in the church. So when we talk about navigating the new, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about through this grand event called COVID, that God has changed the seasons in the church. And, um, but we can view COVID in three different ways. I've seen people interpret this event in three different ways in the life of the church. The first one sees COVID as a, as a um, disaster. The second sees it as a hindrance. And the third one sees it as a catalyst. So we can either see this event as a disaster that's destroyed the thing that we used to have, our Sunday services and our nice, neat congregation, and it's a disaster that it's come in and messed that up. We could view it as a hindrance that, well, here's an inconvenient season called COVID, and all we need to do is wait it out in order for us to get back to how things used to be. Or we can view it as a catalyst, the thing that God has used to actually birth what has been dear to his heart long before this season. We have been building into this for a long time and God has said, now is the time through this event where the things have changed. And I know sometimes we, particularly in Pentecostal churches, we we say God's doing a new thing. I've, I've probably been guilty of saying that phrase in many Sunday services for decades and it can lose, I guess, the significance. But I think, I was thinking about it yesterday, it's not that we were wrong, I think it's that we've been sensing this thing for so long that for, at various times and various Sunday gatherings and various moments, we've got a picture of them, we've gone, yes, there's something new. But then it sort of sucked back again because we weren't ready for it. But what COVID did, it made us, it forced us to the point 
where the season has changed. And I think the season has been changed on us. We didn't decide it. And I think it's a beautiful place to be. But Christine Kane, I think, sums it up beautifully. And she says, the global pandemic has led to a forced pause. In the church, what we thought used to work no longer does. And perhaps we are ready to address the question of how much was really working anyway. Whether we wanted to or not, we have been forced to stop and look in the mirror and ask ourselves where we have gone wrong. That's pretty forceful and strong. And I think that there is an element where we need to reflect and critique what has been. But I think the key here is this, that we need to be critical thinkers without becoming critical people. And there's a difference between using our mind to assess, to reflect, because here's the thing, not everything's getting left behind. There, were, there are good things from the 2,000 years of the church, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, that will become a foundation and will become the things that are just, we, we are laid into. So it's not that everything's bad and now that we're trying to do something good, it's that um, that there's ebbs and flows throughout church history where we stray from the things that matter most to God. And the church sort of lets go of those things a little bit and God brings a realignment and we're in a significant time of realignment. So we need conviction that there is a new era. This isn't an era where we can dip our toes in. It's not like a new year or a new theme or a new little uh, experiment to explore. It's either we try and live in the new with old wineskins, or we dive wholeheartedly into it and go, it is new and we have to commit to it. And so, um, so conviction, is, conviction alone is good, but it's not enough. Because we can declare a new season as much as we want, but we've got to be able to put legs on it at some point. And so that is where point two comes in. Clarity, we need not just conviction that we're in a new era, but clarity about what God is breathing on. And Vicky, at the last gathering, she talked about her Rubik's Cube prophecy, which I just think is phenomenal. And there's so much about that. Even that she got in 2017, around the month of the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So there's, whole, there's, there's a whole lot about that. But she, she, she mentioned that, you know, for those who weren't there, I'm not going to recap it. You might need to watch it later. But she was talking about the Rubik's Cube not being put together in the church, but it being messed up. And, and, I, and I think that is, and, and she said this, it's still being messed up. And so that, and that's true. I think Marty's so brilliantly communicated that by, by that, illust- that uh, picture of the first frost, that it's, you know, there, there's, we sense what God's doing and it's still in progress. However, I do think that there has been already in the last two and a half years, an element of clarity that can at least help us move in a particular direction to continue seeking the heart of God around it. And I think for me, it's summed up in this one word, and it's, it's discipleship. And that might sound a little bit like a, a big build-up to a pretty average common word, uh, but uh, I would like to suggest otherwise. Um, and so a few questions around discipleship that we need clarity on. For example, this, how does discipleship relate to the church? Uh, my answer is this, that discipleship is the one mission of every church. The one mission of every church. Uh, I don't have any scriptures. You can go and read Matthew 28, 18 to 20 later. I'm sure you all know it, the Great Commission. 
Um, but I, I, I've come to these thoughts that discipleship is not just one stream in, in the church. It's not like, well, there's the charismatic stream, there's the contemplatives, there's the evangelicals, and then there's the discipleship crew. Uh, it's not synonymous for me with spiritual formation, becoming like Jesus. It involves that, but it's not the same. For me, uh, discipleship is the grand, overarching, uniting theme about what we have been put on the earth to do as God's people. Um, so, let's say I'm right about that for a second, and it may, and, and it may not be, but there has to, if, 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 if it's not that, we better decide what it is, <laughs> what we're here for. <laughs> if it's not that, we probably should find out what it is. I'm, let's just assume it is that for a second. And that brings me to the next point. The, the problem is with discipleship is that uh, authors over the past couple of decades have identified that we have no common definition about what we're even talking about when we say discipleship. Uh, either it's so broad, like, oh, it means to follow Jesus. Well, yes, that's wonderful, that's true, but that's not helpful necessarily for implementing strategy in church life. Um, or, um, yeah, it's either too broad or, or, or we only focus on one element of discipleship. Uh, there's so many things about discipleship we need to define. That's why one definition isn't enough. But if we have a common mission, it would seem to me that it would be helpful for us to have a common definition. Because, why? How can we determine the methods we need to employ if we don't know what we're trying to do? How, if, if we're not clear on the mission, how could we choose appropriate methods? And it's important because we do methods all the time. Small groups are a method. Everything we do on a Sunday is a method. It's a method to something, but for so long we've done these methods just because that's how the people that went before us used to do these methods, rather than thinking, is this the best method to get me to this outcome? So when it comes to discipleship, I feel like, and what we've done at Rhythm City is to try and define the goals of discipleship, to go, we could, just, we could determine, talk about tools of discipleship, atmospheres of in discipleship, the relationships in which discipleship takes place. But I feel like we need to start with the goals. What is the outcome? What are we trying to produce in people's lives by this thing we call discipleship? And we've come up with these four, uh, which are these, enjoying relationship with God, embodying the image of God, embracing the family of God, and engaging the mission of God. So we want people we're saying that we, our goal is that people would have relationship and know God, that they would become more like Him, that they would join and know how to do church life with other people, the other family of God, and that they would live active missional lives to expand the kingdom of God on the earth. And so for us, that's just a little snapshot into how we're sort of a starting point. That's our next step into this new season, into the first frost to go, okay, what, what are we aiming for? And now we're going on a journey of trying to figure out, well, how do we get people to that place? Don't know if that makes sense. So I, I think getting clarity around uh, discipleship, this thought of discipleship and exploring and diving into what this means for us will help us uh, on, a local, uh, on a local church level and a trans-local church level. 
So on a, on a local church, so the churches that we are building, the churches that we're leading, the churches that we are a part of, having a focus that we are called to make disciples helps us in a few ways. Firstly, it helps correct unhealthy models of church and it helps us resist counterfeit models of church that don't produce disciples. For example, attractional church. Uh, for example, consumer church, where we are here to meet the needs of the consumers in our congregations. All of those oppose, for me, a discipleship church. Uh, it comes against empire. It comes against, I'm building Rhythm City, three locations around the world. My empire, isn't it fantastic? No, it's not. We're making disciples. Uh, that's what we're doing. That's, that's what we're beating the drum about. Um, it comes against the corporate thing where we have this hierarchy and the, the bosses, the CEO, the pastors, the CEO, and everyone just comes to build that vision. There's so many counter models to discipleship that we will inevitably find ourselves succumbing to if we don't have clarity that we are disciple-making churches. Um, it will help us add equipping to exalting, encountering, and encouraging. So, in our churches, we have done exalting encounter and encouragement really, really well. We know how to exalt God. We know how to worship. Uh, we do music. We do the moment. We have our worship services. We've done that really well. We've encountered God, particularly in our type of Christianity. Phil and Julie, there's no bigger well of encounter that I know than this place right here. We've done, we've done encounter brilliantly. We encourage people. I don't know if anyone has ever felt like the past two decades, every Sunday service has been simply to encourage people. It's been raising the dead week after week after week because, because there has been no, uh, no, I mean, that's a bit of a strong way of saying, because people have uh, perhaps not been given the equipping, the tools to live Monday to Saturday. And so for me, part of this new thing is going, okay, let's have our exaltation, let's have our encounter, let's have our encouragement, but let's give people tools and equip them for Monday to Saturday. And lastly, uh, for this point, uh, the, it, it helps us focus on the priesthood of all believers, uh, which is a, a concept that has ebbed throughout church history. Uh, and it's just fascinating. There's moments where we go, yes, you know, uh, let's get the... the the, the lay people and the everyday person to uh, come before God and to open their Bibles and to preach in different seasons. But then we just ebb towards this thing where the people on the platform and the person with the microphone and the person with the title become the experts and everyone else comes to watch. We ebb and we flow. Um, but we're coming into another time, I believe, where it's not just the star ministers uh, doing their thing to keep people dependent on ministry and services, and therefore keeping the church immature, but it's a time where we're releasing people to be all they are. On a translocal level, in think about a group like this, um, I believe this has huge implications for us. And the first one is this, that it can help us realize that we are unique in Metron and ministry style, but we are united in mission. So... In, all, in this room, Metron, you've heard probably Frank DiMaggio's talking about our sphere of influence. 
that's why when people say, why did you choose Nairobi, Dubai, and Australia? It's just, we just felt that was our metron. We don't feel, I'd love to go and plant a church in France, southern France, and the, the flesh part of me is like, let's just have that. Let's have a little base there. But I have no, it's not, no, it's not my metron. God has not entrusted me with that space. So we all have different metrons. We all have different ministry styles. I mean, Marty and me getting up, we probably the most chalk and cheese. Uh, you say I'm the, you're the deep one, by the way, sir. Uh, absolutely. Um, very different ministry styles, right? Um, but our mission is the same. Uh, and, and that brings me to probably one of my most important thoughts here, that we need to get satisfied with sharing a mission with other churches. I don't need a sexier mission statement than you. I don't, I don't need to try and differentiate myself in terms of mission from Nate Wellburn because he's in the area and he's way better looking and younger than me and runs marathons and things like that. It's like, what's, the, what's your vision, Nate? Make disciples. Yeah, mine's the same as Nate uh, and, and Rach. We're doing the same. It's cool. But we're different in Metron and we're different in ministry style, but our goal is the same. And, and again, this might be a little bit idealistic, but I actually thought about this when I did an, a, a, a um, college course on understanding Islam. And I looked at, we were looking at the five pillars of Islam, the profession of faith, the shahada, the prayer, the alms, the fasting, the pilgrimage. And I was like, this religion has five things that they all just go, that's what we're doing. And I was like, imagine if we had in all our richness, and we just said, we are all just making disciples. And we are all doing it with, a, with real nuances and different graces and all these things, but we're doing the one thing. Imagine if we were so united in mission that, point three, we could utilize different ministry gifts to holistically make disciples. So it's not that, you know, when, it's not that, you know, we get, it's not like, oh, I'm getting Marty in town because I'm adding the prophetic stream to my church because it's as if it's some competing thing and some extra thing to what I'm doing. No, I'm getting him because I want him to help uh, us understand prophetically what it means to fulfill a 2,000-year-old mission in the times in which we are, live, we are living in. Or I get Darren in to build marriages, not because it's some separate thing, but because a healthy marriage is an important part of a discipleship process for individuals, for families, for all sorts of things. So, um, so, so what if all of these different streams weren't to compete with one another, but to complement the mission that we're all called to? So clarity, we need some sort of clarity. We don't have it all, but we can at least start moving in a direction. And again, you may not come to any of those conclusions. It could be unhelpful for you, but you've got to answer the question in some way. What is God breathing on? What is he calling us to do? And only then could we even start thinking about, well, how should we structure and strategize our churches in order to do that? Otherwise, we're just going to be doing a whole lot of stuff, hoping that we magically land upon some undefined destination and hope that we get there. Lastly, and this is a quick one, commitment. Out of all, those two things are great. Conviction that we're in the new, uh, clarity about what God's breathing on. But without this one, it's not going to get us there. Commitment to build long term. We are embarking on a lifelong era. 
if we do it right. <laughs> Otherwise, God will have to usher in a new one for the next generation. If we mess it up, he'll just wait till we, we'll get off course and then he'll raise up joeys and ones like that to go, no, come on, guys, let's get back on, back on track. But it is a lifelong thing. This is not a one-year, two-year little mission. This is a reforming and a realigning uh, the now cultural moment with the age-old mission of God. How do we, what are some thoughts in the last one minute? Uh, how, do, how do we commit? Uh, here's a big one. Lead out of obedience and not out of a paycheck. That was one for me this year. I, I felt the Lord challenge me, go, will you lead faithfully and not to just maintain enough people in the church so that you can work full-time for the church? What if I wanted to sow, you know, this whole thing about church growth gone wrong, the church doesn't grow in every season. There's seasons where God cuts, he shrinks. Gideon's are, he shrinks things in order for things to move forward. What if, like, what if we have to shrink a bit first before we see church growth? Um, and, and I felt like, would, would, would I, would, can I lead faithfully in this season even if I have to go get a second job. I was like, wow, that was, con- that was a conviction for me. And, and I said at the time, yes, and then the shrinking's happening. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that, actually. I'm on the, I'm on the brink of the second job thing. Um, and I and, um, hope it's starting to turn a corner anyway. But church is healthier than it's ever been. We paid a price to draw a line and say, this is what we are about, and this is not what we're about. And if you want to be what we're about, let's do it. And if you're not, there are heaps of other churches probably that are doing it a different way. Um, don't give yourself permission to hit cruise control. I think, Marty, what you said as well, we're, we've, we've got this sense, but it's so easy to go back to how things were. Um, but I think we've got to uh, just do whatever we can to make small changes regularly uh, so that we're, we're, we're consistently going, okay, I'm not just going to set, set up, it might be the way you change up your service, it might be um, you know, whatever it might be, like literal, small little things, but it's a way of saying I'm not staying comfortable and we're going to keep moving towards what God is calling us to. Create a culture of flexibility. Um, we've, we've got this whole, we're trying to create a culture in our church that everything we are trying strategically is an experiment still. So we've got uh, our small groups, uh, we call it table. It's a, anyway, that's what we're doing. And we've done it four different ways so far in the last 18 months. And I've just suggested a totally different way just to try it next year. And uh, if those of you know Chantel Casey, uh, she's not ultra, like, you know, flexible. Uh, she is. Uh, but at first it was like, oh, my gosh, why, why are we, we've tried, we've, surely we've found a way. I said, I'm not trying to find a way of doing table. I'm trying to, we, let's, I don't, we may never find a way. We may change this every time we do it. Because we, once we tend to set and forget, it loses life and it loses the breath of God. But, but I'm happy. I said, would you do this? Let's try it. And if it doesn't work in Mar- by March, I'll say, fine, that sucked. That was a bad idea. And we'll do it another way. But I at least want to try these different ways so that we can say we've explored all the options. So flexibility. Um, uh, give up the desire to be the best and most celebrated ministry. Resist doing anything in your church that someone else can do. Get comfortable with being messy and seek God wholeheartedly until you download what he has for you in this era. Cool. Thanks so much, Keith.
so profound. Absolutely, so helpful, so good. See what we've got just in our midst and then you're all still sitting there and you're not allowed to be consumers anymore because we just declared that none of you are allowed to be consumers. Oh my God. <laughs> We're in good place, guys. Um, it's Cubby House Church is over. We can't play church uh, by reason. <laughs> not that I ever did Cubby Houses, but... Um, the glory of God, it's been revealed. So the glory is the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the presence of God, the signs and wonders of God, and God's judgment. And that's wonderful to say in a theological uh, understanding. But doxa, D-O-X-A, and probably Chris Brown knows this, he's, he's the word guy. Uh, doxa is the Greek uh, uh, the Greek root word for glory, doxa, Greek root, uh, root word for glory. And that means opinion. Glory equals his opinion. God has an opinion on everything. We need to ask him his opinion. <laughs> That's the practical. So I give you the high spiritual value. We want the glory, but R.T. Kendall, I was reading one of his books, More Than God, wonderful book, and he says, doxa, Greek root word for glory, meaning opinion. I had four um, encounters of evangelizing on my two weeks away on the mid-coast, and I realized, even myself, and I think I'm pretty good of witnessing, even myself, I found myself wanting on three occasions uh, when a guy shut me down and he said, I don't believe God is the creator. And I went, wow, why did that shunt me? And he shook my hand and, and left. And, and then I realized, we've got to equip our people to witness. And we've got to disciple them, as Garth was saying. And we've got to re realize the glory is manifesting and it's his opinion of what church is and who we are and what our people are going through at this time. Just want to leave you with that. So good. Um, just wanted to highlight this book as well, written by my daughter and son-in-law, Pastor Julian and Pastor Andrew. This is a profound tool. Talking about putting tools in people's hands, this is a profound tool, this book, because it's written for an Instagram generation. So it's written with snippets of ideas, but it's set out like you were flicking through Instagram. You can basically, read, and how long can you read the whole book, Andrew? 45 minutes you can read the whole book. And that's what this generation want. They just go, look, I don't want to read long things. You can see the way it's set out. Have a look at some of them at the back. And honestly, you can put this into the hands of your people. And they're great witnessing tools. They're great tools to just hand out to people. It's all in our region in Jesus' name. When we were speaking uh, about what we were going to do this morning... Pastor Keith is such an incredible leader. He's such a great man of God, and he loves relationship, and he, he loves connection, and he loves family, and he's proven that with his own family, with his own life, with his own church, with now, with Nate, and I've got your own Rachel. I've stop it. Um, you know, handing on his church in such a beautiful transitional way. You know, we have a father in our midst, and that is another thing that is such a beautiful thing. We've been such a fatherless generation. Those of us, I don't know about you, Keith, but many of us didn't have fathers in the faith, and we had to just slog it 
it out ourselves. And the fathers that were in our lives were too busy building their own ministries to look after us. And we, our desire is that we would have fathers that speak into our world. And I want to submit to Pastor Keith as our area leader as a father in the faith that's going to teach me things at my young age, how to do ministry, because 42 years of ministry so far speaks for itself. And this, Pastor Keith is just going to lead us in this last section, because what we wanted to do was just connect everybody together so you get to talk to each other and minister to each other, and he'll lead us in that. Thank you, Pastor Keith. Man, that was some good downloads, guys. Um, I just think of, uh, you know, Paul prayed for probably what we consider the richest church in the New Testament at Ephesus. And he still prayed there was stuff they needed to get. And he prayed they get the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation, as you know, apocalypsis, God draws the curtain back and you see the unseen. Wisdom is now what you do with what you just saw. And we just saw a lot of stuff. What are we going to do with it? And, and I trust that, you know, we, we believe that we're in a day where we can do something with it. And it's going to be new. It, it is new. It's about the new. And, uh, you know, what we want to do, we talked about this with uh, Phil and Julie. And why don't you thank these guys for hosting today? We might not get another chance to do this. Such a great worship time, great team, incredible building and property. And uh, just love their spirit. And uh, just thanks, guys. Just an incredible job. Love it. But what we wanted to do in this last section is to kind of gather around the table and share communion. You know, Jesus introduced the new, and it was his last day. He gathered his guys together around a table, and he said, I'm bringing this new covenant to you. And he broke bread. And in the breaking of bread, he's bringing this new thing where the kingdom is going to invade in a way they never thought would happen. I think they probably were still thinking there's some militaristic thing about to break loose. We're kicking out Rome. We're taking over. And God often does the new in a way that we least expect. I heard an old Nazarene preacher nearly 50 years ago say his sermon was the oddness of God, how odd of God, that God does the oddest things in the oddest ways at the oddest times through the oddest people, which means we qualify, Right? And so we are the people that God is now saying, I'm trusting you. We're not going to be like the Pharisees where God says, I'm taking the kingdom from you and giving it to somebody I trust. And he's doing something new. But to trust us means, are you ready to step into the new? Because it's easy not to. And particularly after decades of ministry, Garth, I know what you're talking about, man. It's like, yeah, there's no salary in this now. And we, we've gone back to where we started, which is not a bad place came over here with three suitcases, 10-week-old baby, and faith income, you know, and we're back there, except for not a 10-week-old baby. <laughs> Thank God for that. So God is doing the new. Jesus gets down, he washes their feet, and he says, now I've got this new commandment with this new covenant. So we wanted to gather around the table in a relational way, but also to give you a chance to pray for each other for the new to minister to each other in this atmosphere of the new. Might be healing, might be breakthrough, might be, might be deliverance. God help us. It might be whatever. But God is wanting to do something new in each of us. And for those of us that kind of been in the saddle for a long time, it's not that easy to get out of that saddle and get in a new one. Because you get comfortable. 
it gets worn. And I think this is a safe place. This is a time where we can be real with each other and say, hey, yeah, I'd love you to just agree together with me that God wants to do something new in me so he can do something new through me. And we pray for each other. I got this revelation, been reading through the book of Luke, probably my favorite gospel. Uh, we're going to put it up. You know, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's appeared to some people. And these two disciples are on the road to Emmaus and they're walking and Jesus just starts walking with them. And they're talking the whole way. And finally, Jesus, I think he gets a little bit frustrated. And he goes, when are you guys going to get it, foolish ones, slow of heart? When are you going to get it? And then he just opens up the scriptures from Moses all the way through. And he starts showing them the scriptures. And they get near the village and they say to him, hey, just, just hang in there with us. And I want to read to you because there's a revelation in here. Starting at verse 30, came to pass. As he sat at the table with them, he took bread blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, we've all been around church a long time. We understand the bread is symbolic of his body. The, the wine is symbolic of his blood. And we say it's only symbolism. And I agree with that. We're not getting into some kind of new transubstantiation, theological view of communion and all that stuff. However, I think we have shortchanged ourselves to quickly rush through communion and just say quickly, eat the bread, drink the cup, so we can quickly start singing again and God will come. Whereas there's something powerful if you will pause. These disciples, something happened. They, they didn't realize what was going on. All of a sudden, he does something that he did that last day, breaks the bread. And you know what happened? Their eyes were opened. They saw the new, which is interesting. And I want to submit to you that if we will just take our time and go through the communion together, that God is always ready to do something new. Wash us of a sin that is a besetting, a habitual sin. Free us from a stronghold. Heal us from a disease. Give us direction and direct our steps. The steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by the Lord if we just wait. Because in the breaking of that bread, something might happen where our eyes are open. Revelation comes and then the wisdom floods. This is what I'm meant to do. Let's just keep reading for a second. It says in verse 31, their eyes were opened. Watch this. And they knew him. They knew him. I don't know how many times through nearly 50 years of being a follower of Jesus, I've so rushed through communion, I didn't know him at that moment. I knew about him and I knew what we're doing, but hurry up and get it over with. I've got to preach. Like, sit down, shut up. I've got a message. Instead of going, Lord, what are you trying to do in me right now? What are you saying to me? I wonder how many words I missed where I could know him better, more intimately than I ever did. If I just waited, the word Phil brought, wait upon him. You get what? New strength. I want to submit, I, I love that stuff, Garth. That, that was brilliant. And I want to submit, we didn't call out the new because... We ju just because we anticipated it was coming, I think we called out the new because we were longing for the new to come. We knew the old wasn't working. And we were longing. And I wonder how many times he wanted to reveal it 
and we could know him, but we rush through. And I'm not trying to drag this out, I'm just trying to say it's a time of expectation. It's not a time of length, it's a time of expectation. It's not how long we wait, it's what we do while we're waiting. Am I prepared to wait? They knew him. They knew him. You know the rest of the story. They get up and they run back to Jerusalem as quick as they can. Um, Guys, if we can probably drop this down to, let me find it, verse 35. Can we do that? Verse 35 of Luke 24. Here they are back in Jerusalem with the, the believers. They told them about the things that had happened on the road. Watch this. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I just got a sense that this word means that God, we're going to know something about him today like we've never known. You're going to know him. You're going to know what he's saying to you. You're going to know what he, the next step. I'm not worried about what God's saying to me about two, three, five years down the track, just tomorrow, just the next step. The steps, not the journey, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in my steps. So I want you to gather around the tables. You're going to break the bread together. I'm not going to lead you in this. This is not church service. You're going to do it together. Gather with people around you. Now, take this moment to be real, to pause. Before you, you at your own time, at your own time when you're ready, break the bread, share the cup, but share with each other. Know something about him. Might be a revelation you got today. Oh, my God, I saw it. I saw it. Share that with each other. Or, Lord, I need healing. This is a time to know Him as healer. This is a time to know Him as provider. This is a time to know Him as the God of the breakthrough. This is a time to know Him as our comforter. This is a time to know Him as our deliverer. Just know Him. Just know Him. And share that with each other. You know, be real. Be vulnerable. Be healed. Be set free. Be directed. And know Him in the breaking of bread. Enjoy this time together.